The Old Testament reading is from Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 through 21. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury, it consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The flood stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its full of them. I will draw my sword and my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them, and they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people... Pass by whom you purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. And the New Testament reading is found 
in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake of fire that burns with fire and silver, which is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. Like Chris said, I I guess my famous, most famous relationship to this church is through my son, Nate, and my daughter-in-law, Gina, and their son, Isaac, and I, uh, Nora, my wife, and I appreciate your care and concern for her, for them. Uh, while they're too brief a time, I'm sure, with you was, they're too brief a time with us, too, so we, we relate very well uh, with you on, on that. But, uh, yeah, we, we're thankful for them. But uh, David can correct me, but I remember back, like, in 2005 and 2006, there was these advertisements on KKMS about the OPC is coming, the OPC is coming. And... Uh, I remember coming even back then to hear Pastor Gibbons before this building was uh, your, your building or uh, missions building, uh, coming on Sunday night hearing Pastor Gibbons preach and do studies. So uh, we have appreciated your ministry and how God has blessed you through the years and brought you through many and w- many trials, but wonderful blessings as, as well. So please turn with me to... Uh, Psalm 121, which will be the text for this morning. It's entitled, A Song of Ascents. I will lift up, I lift up my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. 
The sun will, shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, I pray that your word would be heard and your word would be preached as it truly is your word. So, Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, that text we read from Exodus chapter 15 has some phrases that I'd like us to highlight before we get into Psalm 121. In Exodus 15, it says, You will bring them and plant them on your holy mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord will reign forever. And so what the song of Moses was celebrating was the exodus, their deliverance from Egypt, looking forward to a day when God's people will arrive to a mountain and a sanctuary where the Lord will reign forever. We understand that this was fulfilled in part by David capturing Jerusalem and bringing the ark, the ark there and Solomon building the temple. The reading we read from Revelation 21 looks forward to a new Jerusalem coming down of out of heaven. It said there in verse 2 and following, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven, down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And so what we see through the progressive revelation of Scripture, that a seed that of biblical truth was planted even there at the Exodus, that God would establish a mountain a place where God's people would dwell, or God's would dwell with his people. And that seed that's found back in the Exodus is fulfilled in Revelation chapter 21. Now, Rev Psalm 121 is situated in Scripture where the song of Moses had been partially fulfilled in one sense, as I mentioned, because the temple had been built. Yet, I believe that this psalm points to yet a future day to us when the new Jerusalem descends after Jesus comes for us. Comes for us. Psalm 121 is among the section of psalms called the, songs, the Song of Ascents. This section of the psalms is Psalms 120 through 134. You will notice that each of these psalms is entitled the Song of Ascents. Because pilgrims attending the required feast would go up to Jerusalem. No matter what direction you were coming from, or one was coming from, they would be going up to Jerusalem. Exodus chapter 23, verses 14 through 17, describes those feasts that were required. It says, three times a year you'll, you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread, as I commanded you. 
You shall not eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall keep the feast of harvest of the firstfruits of your labor of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year. And when you gather from the field the fruit of your labor, three times in the year you shall all appear before the Lord God. All of these feasts point to the work of Christ. The Old Testament saints were on a journey to make sacrifices and to celebrate the feasts, looking forward to what Christ would do. We as New Testament saints are on a journey because of the finished work to the New Jerusalem. Notice the structure of this psalm. It starts out in the first person. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? from and then in verse 3 we see that it switches to the third person he meaning the lord will not let your foot be moved the question of the first person i will lift up my eyes to the hills where does my help come from is resolved by the statement in verse 2 my help comes from the lord who made heaven and earth it's as if the person who is speaking there in verses 1 and 2 is saying, how am I going to make this trip? How am I going to arrive at the feast that God has commanded? It's a hard climb to ascend mountains. There may be marauders. There may be robbers when I ascend the next curve. I might find altars to false gods, and that does not seem dangerous and will leave me, in a, will be unsafe. But the questioner answers his own question with the answer. My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. And then the accompanying pilgrims affirm their help comes from the, name, from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. But then they expand on how all along the way, the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth is going to help them. My main point for this message is that God preserves us, his saints, for the new Jerusalem, just as God preserved his people climbing toward Mount Zion. God protected them and strengthened them for the journey in every situation. So he does for us. The pilgrims are aware that there are threats on the way to Jerusalem. Let's look at the threats that the psalmist and the pilgrims describe. The first threat is slipping and falling, climbing up a steep ascent, or descending a, a rocky ledge. The threat is implied in the promise, he will not let your foot slip. Now, Jerusalem is 2,575 feet above sea level. Some of the highest mountains in that area of Israel are around 3,500 feet. Now, to give you some perspective, though, that within a very short distance, the, the elevation changes quickly, not in terms of like hundreds of miles, but dozens of miles. For instance, Tel Aviv, which, of course, didn't exist at this time, I mean, as a city as we know, is 16 feet above sea level. And Jerusalem is 2,575. Jericho, which is about 30, 40 miles away, is 900 feet below sea level. 
So when the, the psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come? You can understand how arduous and difficult that journey was. The second threat we see implied in verse 4. That is attacks from animals or robbers during the night while they are sleeping outdoors on the way to the feast. That's implied in verse 4. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The third threat described is physical extremity of heat or cold. And that's found in verse 6. The sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The hot desert sun could lead to dehydration and fainting. The cold, dark nights of the desert could cause hypothermia. The ancients were fearful of both conditions would lead to delirium, and the people could lose their mental perspective. Some suggest that the sun by day and moon by night represent harsh and oppressive deities and we can see how that goes together, that physical extremity leads to mental breakdowns resulting in belief in the power of oppressive gods that are bringing physical and mental harm. We can imagine the pilgrim climbing with his family and neighbors, wearied by climbing, concerned about safety while sleeping, and preparing for harsh temperature elements. So often on that journey, they might be asking, how far do we have to go? And sometimes we can feel that as well. And there are some times that we should feel how far we have to go. St. Augustine says in his sermon on Psalm 121, the ascent is made in our hearts as we mount toward God through the valley of weeping, where we realize we do not have strength. We are not able to make it. We will not be able to make it to Jerusalem in ourselves, in our strength. But what is the answer? The answer is the Lord. Verse 3, he will not let your foot be moved. As you ascend and descend from Jerusalem, God will protect. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God is fully awake to protect his pilgrims when they sleep. He is not subject to weariness or change or energy depletion. He is the I am, the self-sufficient God who works for the salvation of his people. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will assure the safety of his pilgrims from oppressive heat. He is their keeper. He will keep their perspective during duress. He will be with them at their side. And when humans face threats bigger than ourselves, the Lord will be the keeper of his people. The worship of him was their delight to go to that feast, to be at Jerusalem, no matter what the obstacles were. Psalm 48, verses 1 and 2 says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, the joy of all the earth. And so it was worth it to go through such hardship, to go through such adversity, to be in the presence of the Lord. And so we, as God's people in this New covenant dispensation or administration look forward to being in the presence of the Lord in the new Jerusalem. But this should lead us to a question. Could the pilgrim even in that day be assured of physical safety? 
We know that physical safety is not promised for us. Jesus said that in this world we will have tribulation, we'll be persecuted for our faith. So what is that answer? Well, there were special promises to, the, to, nation, to national Israel if they were obedient. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 and 3 through 6 says, If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord will God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God, blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be you when you come in, and blessed you shall be when you go out. If Israel was faithful to the law, the people were promised supernatural protection in the physical world. But if we know our stories in the Old Testament, we know that there were only few exceptions when they were even relatively obedient to the law. But eventually, the people were exiled for their disobedience. I think we can look at this psalm also, more importantly, as being predictive and prophetic of the New Jerusalem and the journey that all of God's people are on. The language is of the Old Covenant, is, is here, Jerusalem, feasts, temple, pilgrimage. But the essential truth is that there is a destiny that includes the worship of God and fellowship with him through sacrifice, through offerings, and through praise. In a word, our hope is God will bring down a new Jerusalem that is purchased by the work of Christ and that we as God's people are on a journey to this new Jerusalem sanctified by the Holy Spirit. William Dumbrell, who was an Anglican scholar in his book, The Beginning of the End, says that in the Psalms, Jerusalem and Zion has been identified as the world mountain, the source of paradise waters and a destination of a future universal pilgrimage. And Isaiah chapter 2 confirms this in verses 1 through 3. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all nations will flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. It's interesting to note that in Galatians chapter 5, Paul connects the freedom that Christ has purchased to the fact that Jerusalem is, that, uh, that is above is free. And that is our status as people who are free in Christ. We are people who are destined for that new Jerusalem. And we do it, and we can be, do this journey and make the journey because we can be sure of God's grace. But I'd like you to notice, what are these psalms called? They're called Psalms of Ascents, right? Going up, going up to Jerusalem. But notice how it's described about the new Jerusalem. It's not going up. It's coming down. It says in verse 2 of Revelation chapter 21, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It's coming down to us. Why? Because the arduous and difficult ascent was performed by Christ. 
He went through all the threats. It says in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And so we see that Christ made a pilgrimage for us. He fulfilled the law in our place. His feet slipped, carrying the cross, so that Simon of Cyrene was compelled to carry it. Christ climbed Golgotha and was lifted up on a cross to lead us by redeeming grace to that Jerusalem that is coming down when Christ comes down. Recall the temptation of Christ by Satan as Luke describes it. That was a journey of ascent. Satan met him in the wilderness where Jesus was fasting. He led him to a high mountain and then led him to the highest point of the temple to offer him something, something less than the New Jerusalem. But Jesus obeyed the will of the Father by the word of God for us. Yes, the Christian is on a journey, and there are trials and difficulties on the way, but the whole path is covered by grace. And the final atoning sacrifice that assures us that we will safely arrive in the new Jerusalem when Jesus comes. All the threats that we encounter in this life, it says this in verse 4 of Revelation 21, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. We have God's promises of mercy for every obstacle on the journey. We can go forward in his strength. And that brings us toward the end of this psalm in verses 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your coming out. You're going out and you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And so this, the perspective switches still on the journey, but we're almost there. We're still on the journey, but I can see the end. And so what we see here about the Lord and his keeping is that it's according to his covenant grace that he has promised that he will keep us as his people. One concept of scripture that is central and dear to Reformed Christians is the concept of covenant. It is an idea found in many other Christian viewpoints, but only in the reform, the only reformed faith makes the concept of covenant central. One aspect of that covenant is that he has bound himself through his own choice to, for our salvation and the ultimate glorification of those whom he has chosen. The next three assertions of the pilgrim as they travel all reflect the Lord's commitment to his children. These verses have the larger perspective of all evil. The Lord will keep you from all evil. Evil is a comprehensive term that includes all harm, physical and spiritual. The promise is that the Lord will protect from all forms of evil. We in this new covenant administration can be sure that the Lord will work to remove all evil from our lives. There is no physical threat that will ultimately keep us from the covenant love of our Lord. 
Yet here is the emphasis, the emphasis is that the Lord will keep us from all evil eternally. Nothing about our indwelling sin, the attacks of Satan, or the scorn of an unbelieving culture will separate us from his covenant love. At the same time, God is de- has a determined purpose to remove from us the habits, the dispositions, attitudes, and thinking and actions that are a consequence of our dwelling sin. He is determined to make us like his son. And that is why the journey for us is a joy. We want to be in fellowship with God in the wonder of his grace. We want to sing his praises. We long for the intimacy of meeting God at the mercy seat. We want through the joy of communing with God that through that he would strip us of our predispositions that our inward temptations lead us to. And this is what God does in our journey of life. The psalm goes further. He will keep your life. Not only will he protect us, but he will treasure us. God is more than interested in sin removal. He's interested in us as his people. Our very existence is bound with his existence. That's what it means to be under his covenant grace. As much as God would cease to exist is the possibility that those for for whom God is redeemed by his son in covenant love would cease to be in covenant with him. Louis Burkhoff in his systematic theology defines God's love this way. That perfection of God by which he is eternally moved to self-communication. He loves believers with a special love since he contemplates them as spiritual children in Christ. It is to them that he communicates himself in the fullest and richest sense with all the fullness of his grace and mercy. When I read this as a junior high school, it gripped my heart. It still grips my heart. God eternally communicates himself to us so that we would know him and love him and worship him and experience the riches of his grace. For me, who grew up in a Christian home, I I could have told you the gospel from my earliest years. I could have told you about how to have eternal life after death, which is very precious. But as a junior in high school, to know that God, from that point, I was thinking as a junior in high school to the end of my life, that I would know more of God. It gave me such hope. It gave me some purpose. And it still does. God has united us with his son, and we are sitting in a position of love and privilege now. Ephesians reminds us of these promises that God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. These promises tell us why and how the Lord will keep our lives. And the psalmist concludes with verse 8. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. What this verse tells us is that the, the journey to and from the feast was protected by God. The moment one left the moment one left the house and went to Jerusalem and returned home, it was all 
under the protecting power of God's grace. Not one step, not one moment, not one place separated the pilgrim from God's covenant love. The same is true for us. The same grace that called us, regenerated us, gave us faith and repentance is the same grace that will keep us and bring us safely home. The same grace that called us through the gospel and keeps us will now resurrect us bodily. The same grace that called us will make us like Jesus Christ. The same grace that will open our eyes, that same grace will open our eyes to see Christ as he is when he comes back. For all eternity, we will come to know the disposition, the heart and attitude of the triune God who loved us and redeemed us. We are coming to know it now as God's people, and we will know it forever. And when we arrive at that new Jerusalem, the high priestly prayer of Jesus will be fulfilled in John 17, 10, 11. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost. Although we are not promised absolute physical security in this life, we have a greater blessing than physical safety. We have God's spirit. Our comfort during this time now is that he is instilling his hope in us through the trials, through the obstacles, while assisting us in prayer till the final day. The same spirit who made us new creatures in Christ will complete his work of regeneration and make us new creatures in resurrection. And now he assists us in our weakness. Calvin Knox Cummings, which is a name Cummings, if you've spent any time in the OPC, it's very familiar to you, but I'm referring to Calvin Knox Cummings, who was pastor when uh, Nora and I first uh, met each other 37, 38 years ago, and he was pastor of uh, Trinity OPC at that time, organizing pastor. And he writes this in his treatise on the covenant of grace, comparing the old, old administration of the covenant with the new. With greater power, the Holy Spirit was to accomplish his sanctifying work in our hearts. By that same Holy Spirit, we are brought into a more vital fellowship with our Redeemer and Lord. We are made to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. By faith, we walk in the presence of our Savior. The fruits of the Spirit are made to abound within our souls, even love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. I hope it's not just a sense of nostalgia, but it's the fact that as I was thinking about it yesterday, looking over my story, I thought, wow, Pastor Cummings wrote something on the covenant grace, I better look it up and just felt a confirmation. <laughs> and that 35, 36, 37 years later, I could say those things. 
And I used to ask you, to where will you be 35 years from now? Because we can say today we are believers and we need God's grace as much to preserve us as we need to be converted. And I know that you probably know that better than a lot of people who believe God's word, that we need God's grace every day, every situation, even if we are already God's people and redeemed. We always need that grace. Romans 8, 23 and 26 says, Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And then Paul reaches his crescendo in Romans 8, 38 and 39, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, not rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Then, when our journey to New Jerusalem is complete, then the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Richard Baxter, the great Puritan, says this in The Everlasting Rest. If we did really and firmly believe that there is such a glory, and that within a few days, meaning how life short is short, our eyes shall behold it, oh, what passion would it raise within us! What astonishing apprehensions, apprehensions of that life it would produce! What love, what longing would it excite within us! Oh, how it would actuate every affection. How it would transport us with joy upon the assurance of our title. What this passage teaches us is that God will preserve us until we arrive to the new Jerusalem. Although there are threats in the journey, none of them will ultimately harm those who are under God's covenant grace through Christ. God is able to use all threats as incentives to see his protecting hand and power. Our lives are on a journey, and the worship of God through the atoning of sacrifices are joy and delight. We can't wait to worship him here on earth, and certainly can't wait to, we can't wait to worship him in the new heavens and new earth. God has not promised that we will avoid all accidents, crisis, and trauma, but God has bound himself, and he will keep us. We will arrive safely home, and he will protect us. John Calvin, commenting on this passage, asks the question, why does it keep repeating that the Lord will keep us? Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither, stumber, neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going in, going out and your coming in. So he asks the question, why does the psalmist repeat it so much? And Calvin's answer is, we as God's people can't hear it enough. We cannot hear enough. He says, whatever may be found throughout the whole scriptures concerning the providence of God, we should own as our own as true until this doctrine that God always keeps watch over us is deeply 
rooted in our hearts. We should own as our own until this doctrine is deeply rooted in our hearts. Like all, God always keeps watch for us. We can never remind ourselves of that too much. Today, my father would have been 107, so that tells you where I fit in family. He was 46 when I was born, died uh, 40, uh, 30 some years ago, more than that, 35 years, more than 35 years ago. My father, who would often drive and he would sing this song, probably just to keep himself awake, which of course is a very important spiritual principle. We need to keep ourselves awake. He would sing, Traveling Home, Traveling Home, led by Jesus. We are traveling home. And yes, by Jesus, we are traveling home. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for how specific you are to us every day. That every step, every moment, every conversation, every meal, every time we go out and walk, every time we drive our car, every time we pay a bill, you are drawing us and driving us to that new Jerusalem because we are your people through Christ. We thank you that we have the larger perspective that you are the maker of heaven and earth. We thank you that we have the larger perspective that we are your covenant people through Christ. We thank you that we have the larger perspective, perspective that Christ has already made the journey for us and that he obeyed all the aspects of your Old Testament law for us in his obedience and that our hope and life and death is that Christ is our righteousness that Christ is our savior and redeemer so Lord I pray that by your Holy Spirit that you would seal these promises to us that it would be real and dear to our hearts that we are protected and watched by you the Lord who will not let our foot slip we thank you in Jesus name Amen.